Welcome to People in Place. My name is Mason. This is the second episode of my series going through the book I released last year called Homeland. If you're just joining me, I encourage you to listen to the previous episode where I start the book. I will be going through the next three paragraphs of the essay and maybe also talking about a few of the photos, but we'll see. So here it is. We reside on the traditional territory of the Plains Cree, Beaver Lake Cree, and Métis people, which is essential to understand. There is a pearl of pre-existing wisdom, unlike studied intelligence, that exists within the deep history found in the indigenous traditions preceding our industrialized pillaging. Reconnecting people and places is mandatory for long-term sustainability with a dangerously debilitated land and economy. This call to reconnect with disenfranchised people and places will likely fall on diff- in different ears or be quelled by those who advocate for our community's current way of organizing. Equally deluded as they presume their adversaries are, the people controlling and perpetuating the myth that our current economic and ecological status is healthy. Transforming the minds of those with influence must occur from a place of love and grace. Without the core tenet of sacrificial love, we will quickly lose sight of why this call to action must proceed. A riot or protest is all too cliché for this conservative region to care. There may be examples of successful public protests. However, the homogeny of conservative thought does not allow reformation of practice or thought in leadership. The exception is if it pertains to individual liberty. To reconnect with one another, a sacrifice of our individualistic mentality must occur. This new mindset requires trust, which can take a lifetime to establish. Unfortunately, some folks ignore such values and abuse the alternative reality being worked toward by communities. The dissenters oppose all people's reconnection, diversity, inclusion, and interconnectedness. A common objective is economic success, often disguised as happiness through accumulation. Undeniably, this drive is inadequate for sustaining joy and relationships with one another. After fulfilling individual necessities, there needs to be a reflexive returning of excess to those who lack. I write this idealistically while frequently failing to achieve it personally. Once we realize our habitual collecting of material items, we must halt our consumption. There is considerable contention when I discuss this point. Often accusations of socialism or communism are derogatorily retorted. This response is understandable since the historical examples have demonstrated catastrophic failure whenever attempted. The pre-industrial agrarian communities based on knowing, trusting, and caring for one's neighbors are the only example where this equity might have been evident. To vilify either economic system is to ignore their intentions, both initially aimed to create better lives for the people involved but what generally determines the outcomes are local neighborly relationships. And that's the next three paragraphs. <laughs> I, I laugh because I am finding um, my own words to be quite 
uh, Stark or uh, Direct. And I'm not sure if I would, well, in, in being trying to be uh, offering grace and um, love for <laughs> my neighbors and for those of opposing uh, perspectives, uh, I think I would have a hard time expressing these thoughts to them, which is probably why I wrote it into a book. But I can imagine for those who disagree with me on our drive in life of being uh, upholding and building strong relationships with our friends and neighbors, uh, these words are not welcome or seem a little hostile. Uh, So... Yeah, another another point I find interesting is how I start with kind of talking about our indigenous connection to the land. And that's something that I wish I could elaborate on. Um, I just don't feel as though it's my place to discuss the relationship that indigenous people have to the land, being that I'm since I'm not indigenous. Um, my wife is Métis and her family is uh, Métis, uh, so I, I guess, have secondary experience of that culture a little bit, but I still don't feel as though I'm confident enough to really analyze it, and, and so I'm glad I don't try to here. I uh, <laughs> kind of transition to looking at the source of our problem again, being that the current way that at least for Bonneville, um, and I think in large part a lot of Alberta is economically driven. So as a result, our our bottom line is all that matters, and our environment is less important. And that brings us to the age-old conflict of economy versus ecology: which one are we willing to sacrifice, and which one? in sacrificing or or putting less focus on is actually leading to a healthier more fulfilled society and i think interestingly traditionally (laughs) we can see that focusing on our connection to ecology opposed to just economic growth has led societies to be more joyful and more fulfilled because we aren't ignoring and trampling that which sustains us being the environment and our natural ecosystems around us. And, uh, and so with this first paragraph, the photo accompanying it is a skeleton, a tree that is leafless with the moon, uh, full moon blurred out in the background. And it's one of my favorite photographs because of the uh, complementing yellow of the moon and the, the deep blue sky of the of dusk. Uh, yeah, uh, I just, I really enjoy it. It's, it's peaceful. It's a tree that I drove by many times waiting for the right conditions, the right background. I I originally pictured kind of a a vibrant, bright sunset sky or sunrise, uh, as that area has a lot of beautiful sunrises and sunsets, but this, uh, this setting seems much more appropriate for the subject. The next two photos transition into winter. Um, 
clouds kind of sweeping over the sky with a lone fence going up a hill and then two oil tanks uh, that are decrepit and rusted and bent and sat in that field for well as long as I can remember and only I think the the year after I moved away they got removed which was surprising uh, I don't know what happened with them maybe the prices of scrap metal went up uh, enough to make it profitable to have them removed but it was uh, surprising driving by them going to my friend's house and oh they aren't they aren't there anymore but again, really unique conditions with the fog and the snow creating a, a softer view of a kind of sad scene, in my opinion. And then the last two paragraphs, um, I talk about sort of my dilemma uh, or the conversations that I heard a lot of people advocating for sort of a capitalist mission, a capitalist society. And it's very easy to, to fall into that and make that our goal and make profit all that matters. But once again, only, well, studies show that once you make 70,000 70, a year, your happiness level doesn't increase with your income. And so if we were to take that seriously, we'd have a lot of folks in that area who would have a lot of um, income that would be able to be given to others. Uh, and as someone who's never made 70000 uh, maybe Selena and I have combined, but uh, personally, I've never made that much money. So I, uh, I can't really imagine what it would be like to afford life with that not really having having to think each month like oh am i gonna have enough rent or am i able to afford to go eat out um and this is i'm quite frugal uh learning from my grandparents who are legendary when it comes to frugality and saving money um but yeah so so the reality is i could probably afford most things with the income i have the income selena and i have but I really try to be conscious of, is this expense going to bring uh, goodness, bring joy to my life? Is it investing in relationships or is it investing in myself? So I'm much more likely to spend money on going out for a meal or a beer with a friend than I would be to buy myself uh, something off the internet or at a store. I... Uh, I continually feel guilty whenever I do buy something for myself because I want to be investing in and in spending my resources in what I think matters most. And that is relationships and building relationships with people around me and trying to expand my understanding of, of the people that I live near and my neighbors and those who I come into contact with regularly. I think that's all I'm going to say on that one. I On the last paragraph, I discuss sort of how we need to aim at local neighborly relationships and um, how to create better lives. This needs to be our priority. And I do believe that. However, I'm a little conflicted due to mostly just renting in my life and 
as someone who rents, I, I never feel as though I have a right to get to know the people around me. And that's improper thinking, in my opinion, because you can always get to know someone and learn what their needs are, even in the short time that you're there. What I th- think my concern is, is this requires vulnerability and openness and also the potential of rejection because not a lot of people are really, um, I guess a lot of people are proud to be able to be independent and not rely on anyone else, which is why a lot of people who do need help do it kind of secretly and don't really want their neighbors to know and everyone wants everyone else to think that everything is okay and that they don't need help from from one another. I think this is this mindset's changing a little bit as more and more people are becoming dependent on whether that be government programs or food banks or um, secondhand stores, not out of just leisure, <laughs> but out of necessity. And I hope that that trend continues. I think I think it would be it would do our culture good to be a little bit more humble in accepting help from one another accepting local help i think i think putting a face to the help is important rather than the anonymity that government help provides you the fact that uh back in the day i think before myself (laughs) that generally there was a common knowledge of the families and the people who needed help in the community was a good thing i i'm not sure how those people who are the ones who need a lot of help would feel about that. I'm sure there's some shame in that. And maybe that comes back to our approach in how are we addressing individuals' needs? Uh, are we doing it in a way that honors them or are we doing it in a way that embarrasses and brings shame to them? Just some extra thoughts that I, I have. And lastly, this is the photo with this page is a long panorama of some trees in the distance with a flooded field in spring, just as the snow is starting to melt. Uh, It's quite minimalist, and it kind of just fills up the bottom fourth of the page, or bottom third, with the paragraphs above. So with that, I'm going to end this episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. If you have any feedback or questions or comments regarding the book or anything else I said, feel free to reach out. My email is in the description and so is my website where you can explore more of the things I do. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. Peace.